Hello, everyone. My name is Wendy Myers. Thank you so much for joining the Live to 110 podcast. You can find me and learn more about me at LiveTo110.com. Today, we have my friend Diane Kayser on the podcast. She's going to be talking about finding the courage to be happy. And it's something a lot of us don't allow ourselves to be happy. We can be really hard on ourselves and have that critical inner voice and um, really create a lot of obstacles for ourselves to be happy. So we're going to be talking about strategies that you can use to have more joy in your life. Um, But please keep in mind that this podcast is for informational purposes only. Um, Please consult your healthcare practitioner before engaging in anything that we suggest today on the show. The Live to 110 podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Our guest, Diane Kayser, um, she's the doctor's nutritionist. She helps clients all around the world, but most specifically in Orange County in California, where many doctors entrust their patients to her to teach them self-love through nutrition, meditation, fitness, and fulfilling their dreams. With a seven-year clinical background and lifelong experience, Diane is a passionate expert on reversing autoimmune disease, detoxification, natural fertility, digestion challenges, and energy upgrades. She's written programs and eBooks to teach our clients how to thrive, such as The Sexy Belly Guide, Hashimoto's Guide to Reversing Autoimmune Disease, and The Warrior Cleanse. Uh, They were born through her own health struggles, which she reversed through the tenants that she teaches. Her recent passion project is the Heart to Happiness Summit, where she brings together 25 experts from around the world to enlighten us to a greater version of ourselves through the heart to find happiness and reconnect with each other and our purpose. Her little tagline is that she helps conscious, successful women detox divine draining toxins out of their lives so they can reverse disease, supercharge their potential, and look and feel stunning so that they can focus on their dreams and follow their heart with reckless abandon. Hey, wait a second. That's my tagline. (laughs) Diane, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Wendy. It's always a pleasure with your beautiful face. (laughs) Yeah, well, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit, you know, about yourself and your story? Oh, yeah, I know that's kind of open-ended, but uh, easy, easy answer. Um, A lot of people actually, I find, they they find it hard to talk about themselves. And I think that um, they feel as though it's egotistical or that they're bragging. Um, but I, I chose, I chose, I chose a different approach. I, I think it's, it's, a, it's important for us to celebrate our victories and for us to celebrate other people's victories too. You know, I think, I really think that a, a tiny percentage of the population really is able to, um, celebrate with other people because they are happy about themselves, which is what we'll talk about today. Um, but my past, I mean, I guess the, the biggest, you know, how did, how would I identify with myself as a kid? I was, I started playing soccer when I was four. Um, I became obsessed with unicorns at that time, which is my spirit animal and helps me, you know, connect with the, the playful side, the adolescent side of me that makes me, you know, the innocent, young, loving girl that, you know, when I'm becoming more of a powerhouse woman, I'm in my ego. I just pull out my little unicorn. It reminds me of, you know, the, the sweet and divine and, and gentleness of myself. So I could, you know, be the more of a woman, you know, like, cause we're being asked to be more, more manly, I guess today we have more manly roles. And, um, that 
for me, at the age of four, I started playing soccer and then I became a pro soccer player and got, um, you know, scholarships to play soccer as well in my uh, teenage years. And, um, I traveled to play soccer in the Bundesliga in Germany. I played soccer, uh, pro soccer in the United States. And so, you know, playing that role and being the defender, you know, I was, I was mama bear protecting my team. And so I became like this warrior, but then it was too much on the, the dominant, you know, male side, that energy was so like, you know, holding tight, aggressive. And, um, so I, I kind of lost that, that feminine side of myself. Um, and then when I was 22, I became a financial planner. So at an early age, I, um, I didn't really get to go out and do younger kid things. I became serious. I started my financial planning practice. Eight years later, I sold that, became a nutritionist. And now I'm a functional diagnostic nutritionist like you. And I like to help people get toxicity out of their life, be it their toxic thoughts or, you know, toxic chemicals or toxic food, toxic people, which is so important too, uh, toxic pastime, you know, things that, that aren't serving them. Uh, just really in general, getting the crap out of our lives that plagues us and, and pulls us down and that um, takes us, robs us of our happiness. So um, the story of me is how this project that we're going to talk about came to be. So that's that's kind of me in a nutshell. And I'm 37 years old now. And I guess you could say I'm living my dream. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your project. Uh, you have an upcoming project called Habits to Harbor Happiness. Mm-hmm. And um, you chose to talk about depression. I think it's really important because I suffered for, from depression for many, many years. And you always wonder, why? Why am I depressed? Especially when your life seems to be going really well, which at one point in my life, my life was amazing. And I thought, why am I not happy? And um, let's talk about some of the you know underlying causes of depression. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so... Um, I, I'm actually at my parents' house right now visiting my mom for Mother's Day when we're recording this. And this is my little heart that I gave to her when I was younger. Mom, thank you for always believing in me. I love you. And you know, I had a little heart with me every time I interviewed people, including yourself, which um, you air on June 4th. So everybody's got to tune into yours. Uh, you, yours is a very powerful interview uh, as toxicity, as um, a roadblock to happiness. So um, the, the Heart to Happiness Project is to remind ourselves that in order for us to achieve happiness we need to use our hearts as a vessel. And, um, I forgot to, you know, I forgot to incorporate one piece, um, or two pieces of my story, which is that I too was depressed like you and, um, completely lost, you know, on the outside, it would look like, Oh, well you have everything going for you. You've got this, you've got money, you've got a BMW, you've got a horse, like you, you've got (laughs) boys who want to date you. It's like, well, how dare you? Oh my God, look at you. Like, no, it's not, it's what's going on inside of ourselves. It's, it's, you know, 90% of our happiness is not predicted by what's happening in our external world, but by the way that our brain processes the world, the way we experience the world, the interface through which um, we, we interact with others, um, the lenses through which we see life, the way that we respond to life. Are we grateful? Are we stressful? Um, you know, what is it? And, and, and childhood programming, there's all these different reasons that people might be depressed today. So I can say for myself, because um, and I like to be, I'm like you, I like to speak for the people. And, you know, we've got a lot of people in our practice and you start to see trends, you know, like, gosh, this is not just, it's not just me depressed. It's not just females depressed. It's like a lot of people, it's kids, you know, a lot of kids are on depressants, antidepressants too. And so I was a yoga, I started doing yoga when I was 20. Um, because at that time, that's when I noticed that I was depressed. I wasn't happy with myself. Um, that was right around the time that in college, when I got recruited to play soccer, I went from this all-star 
you know, California state VIP MVP athlete to being benched on a soccer field, um, on the, um, in college. And that destroyed me. It, you know, politics destroyed me and my heart hurt. And I drank a lot of alcohol to try to numb that because I didn't know how else to deal with it. Uh, I wasn't equipped for whatever reason to respond to that in that external stressor of other people's judgment of my value. And so I adopt, I gave my power away and I see a lot of people doing this. We give our power away um, from the judgment of other people and what they think about us or say about us. But that's really, truly at the bottom of it, based on their judgment of themselves. You know, when we're harder on ourselves, we're harder on other people too. And so when I was 20, I started doing yoga because I thought, well, maybe this is a way for me to work through, you know, to detox. I really just wanted to detox back then. I wanted to just, you know, be a, a better soccer player. But 17 years later, you know, I'm now a yoga teacher and I've traveled the world several times alone. It sounds really funny to say it, but to, to explore who I am, to become aware of who I am. And I think that's a big part, a huge part of why people are so unhappy today is because we've lost sight of who we are and what we're here to do and our purpose and passion projects, you know, consistently across a lot of these people that I've um, interviewed is that we have to have a purpose. We have to have some sense of fulfillment and authentic fulfillment because there's a study done recently that says that only 13% of us are actually excited about what we do for our work, 13%. And that's what we do a third of our lives. So it's pretty sad that the other 87% are just kind of walking around going through the motions like zombies almost. So I saw that and there's a whole bunch, I mean, there's so many other things that go into it, but that's, that's sort of what started all of this is that, um, when I went through my own depression and I had some suicidal thoughts too, I went, Oh boy, I need to do something about it. If I'm feeling this way and I've got a lot of things going for me, then the majority of the rest of us are feeling this way too. And I can feel it and see it. And I want to do something about it. Yeah. And I mean, it's finding your purpose is so key. I mean, I, you know, started doing like pre-med classes and wanted to be a doctor when I was younger. And I wish I had pursued that route because that was my, my real purpose was medicine, health, helping people. And I thought, no, I'm not going to make any money doing that. So I started to pursue the almighty dollar and go into business. Right. And I was not chasing that dollar, never, did not make me happy. And finally I came back at 37 to what I really wanted to do and listen to my heart and found my purpose, which was becoming a health practitioner, a doctor, it doesn't matter. Just wanted to help people and do it uh, in, uh, you know, in health and medicine. And um, so, so I was able to find my purpose, but you, you do, you have to spend time finding yourself. Um, but let's talk a little bit about, you know, depression and some, you know, scary statistics on depression. Oh, Yeah. Right now, depression is, it's not just something that, that, um, adults are experiencing. It's not just something that, um, that people who are in the workforce are experiencing. It, it is pretty much chronic. And in fact, I did some research, um, cause I thought, you know, you look at Americans and you think Americans are the most obese. We take the most prescription drugs. We are the most overworked, but then there's other parts of the world too. Like in China, they're the most overworked and they're actually, actually have, I can't remember what it's called, but they actually have uh, something coined for it where they work so much that they are dropping dead at work. And it's like, Oh, no big deal. It's just, you know, we work a lot. That's just kind of the way it is. Or maybe it was Japan. I can't remember. Um, but it's more common in other countries to overwork themselves to death. And it's, it's more accepted there actually. Um, nor, um, Africa is another place where there's more depression in the middle East as well. But America, um, the statistics here and they're, and they're changing, they're evolving. You know, what's really crazy, Wendy, and I'll, I'll, and I'll get into the statistics in a second is that I have three assistants that have been working to help me with, um, on the summit 
And one of them, I, I just hired her recently. And yesterday she was supposed to be doing a lot of the work since we were just launching. And my other assistant who manages her said, oh, she can't do anything today because she's um, being held up by gunpoint right now. <laughs> I went, what? And I went, please tell me it's not someone who forgot to take their meds. And she's like, yep. Oh, wow. So I went, this is so ironic that, you know, some of my projects are getting pushed back because one of my assistants who's working on the project for and with me for the very reason that I have a lot of passion around is that we are over-medicated and we're going about it the wrong way by shoving antidepressants down these people's throats instead of listening to them and, and maybe writing a prescription for yoga or, or getting like an hour out in nature or, or making more love or hugging a friend or looking into the eyes of a dog for long periods and increasing oxytocin. Tosin, like what kind of work have we done other than dwell on the past of, you know, maybe their trauma and continue to, to reignite that wound? You know, maybe we can just get, the, how healthy are you? How toxic, Wendy? You know, like with your, your patients, student and um, clients, how toxic are you? What things that are blocking you? So, um, so anyway, the statistics are currently that uh, it's about, it's hovering around 10 to 14% of people are taking antidepressants. And right now, one out of every four women in their 40s and 50s is um, on antidepressants. Um, my mom was actually prescribed antidepressant for some migraine stuff that she had and some menopausal symptoms. So they're being prescribed for things outside of just depression. And that is you know, what they're estimating because it's decreasing inflammation. And inflammation is a big, um, what they're purporting to be a big, huge reason right now for depression. And if you look at you know, the obesity and overweight crisis of America, a third of us are obese, a third of us are overweight. Well, that's inflammation. And so that inflammation is, is, you know, a lot of pressure on our joints and our nerves. And so things can't get where they're supposed to be. Toxins get tra trapped. We're malnourished, malabsorbed. Um, we're dehydrated. So it's part of it. So we're not exploring those first. Instead, we're handing out these antidepressants like candy that have more long-term side effects than help. And more of it's being, you know, purported to be placebo now than anything. And um, right now, I found this to be really, really, really daunting is that in 2010, the average teen in the United States was taking 1.2 central nervous systems drugs, 1.2. So that means that the average teen is taking some kind of drug that's altering their mood, which then they're getting behind the wheel and they're drinking and they're compounding that. And so when you look at these numbers, you know, what percentage of them is actually working? Um, when I interviewed Dr. Dan Kalish, I believe he was the one that said that, you know, there's only like two to 5% of us who really, um, you know, antidepressants really does help us. And the other 95% are experiencing long-term negative side effects. So, you know, that being said, what can we do instead? Because then you've got these crazy people that are off their meds and they end up worse off than if they would have just, taking care of themselves and the root cause issue to begin with. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think meds should be last resort. I, you know, decided to go down that route many, many, many years ago, like 15 years ago, I tried Lexapro and did it for a year. I didn't really notice any much of a difference and got off of it. And wow, that was the, that was hell for three weeks getting off that just anxiety through the roof. And and I can see why people stay on it. They don't want to get off because it, that was very, one of the most unpleasant three weeks of my life. And I needed to tend to my diet and take nutritional supplements and work on mindset and, you know, you know, what perception you're having about yourself and your life. And there's so many other things to it. Like you said, I, I agree meds should be last resort. Um, yeah. Also on that note, um, I forgot to mention this too, Wendy, sorry to interrupt. Um, but not sorry, because this is something that people need to hear uh, is, is that 
when they did studies on these antidepressants, and there's a lot of different, you know, you're going to find a whole bunch of different things on the internet on one side versus the other. Um, but it is said that about 95% of the experimental medicines that the pharmaceutical industry um, produces are found not to be safe and never approved. And then of the remaining 5% that are approved, we often don't find out that they're deadly to us until decades later. And we are experiencing symptoms like you are. And another study just came out um, that showed that women who are in their third trimester of um, of child of bearing a child, and they're on antidepressants, that they've got like an eighty seven percent chance that their their baby will be born to autism. And you know, there's a whole bunch of studies coming out, but the rates of autism are increasing. We have to question why. Um, you know, and and of course, autism is a central nervous system issue. And so, what's going on here? Is that inflammation too? There's so much. There's so much to uncover here. But I don't believe that leaning heavily on pharmaceuticals to get through the fast-paced demands of life is the best way to is the best way of going about it. And I find a lot of people find it doesn't work. I mean, I yeah. know many many people that they go on an antidepressant doesn't work. The doctor writes them a script. Oh, let's add another one. Doctor right. writes a script for another one. Oh, now I can't sleep. Then they get a prescription for Xanax or another benzodiazepine, and then they get a prescription for an antipsychotic, and they're on like five meds, and it's just insanity. And these people, they are a train wreck. I mean, they are emotionally bankrupt and, uh, you know, in horrible mental condition. It makes me really angry. Um, and, because, you know, yeah. sexually bankrupt, too. Um, I I interviewed a sex expert, too, for the Heart to Happiness uh, Summit, and you know, oxytocin is, that's our, our love connection hormone. And that is most produced during orgasm and connection and sex and lovemaking. And of course, you know, looking into the eyes of each other and hugging and um, those sorts of things, but bonding, bonding and being vulnerable in, in our creative space, that's what produces oxytocin. So it's like you get these people on antidepressants and they, they can't even, they can't produce, so to speak. You know, when, when it comes time to make love, they're having a hard time getting sexually aroused and then they can't, and then they, then they are depressed because of that. Mm-hmm. And then they take another drug so that they, you know, then they're on testosterone. And it's like, it, it, it's not to get too far that direction because it's affecting multiple people in multiple ways. You know, children even are being prescribed antidepressants. But um, if we can't make love, if we can't love ourselves, it's hard to make love or love other people too. And if we're robbed of oxytocin, we're sure as heck robbed of happiness. Yeah, absolutely. I had that same side effect too. It was really strange. <laughs> Very odd side effect of it. Oh, it's humiliating, isn't it? It's like, what, what's going on down here? <laughs> yeah, and let's talk about, you know, the power of vulnerability and, you know, the courage to show up as ourselves. I think a lot of people today, they're afraid to be themselves. And you you really have to kind of, you know, burst through that. And, you know, Americans, you know, we tend to be very individualistic, all about, you know, making, letting individuals shine and be themselves. So I think a lot of people still have a hard time allowing themselves to do that. Yeah. That's, this is, this is probably the, the heaviest hitter, um, is courage, right? Courage to be seen. And the work of Brene Brown, I believe is revolutionizing humans, period. <laughs> um, you know, her thing, and, and if you guys don't know who she is, you know, just, you could do a simple Google search, you know, Brene Brown Ted Talk. You could spell it wrong and you'll find a whole bunch of um, videos to watch. And they're, they're very humbling. They hit home, they hit straight to the heart. And she and Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, are two powerhouses in this topic. Um, I myself, when I started listening to these videos, found myself hearing me judge myself and then questioning who is this voice? 
who, who is it inside of me that's judging myself? And if you really think about it, there's such a tiny percentage of, of our past that we may have been traumatized by like that one bully. You know, if, if we come across a thousand people in a month time period and there's one bully that has made our life hell, that's like 0.1%. And we're letting that 0.1% incident govern a hundred percent of our life. Maybe not a hundred percent, but it's always that voice in the back of our head. That's like, remember the last time you showed up as yourself, or remember the last time that you celebrated something and you were excited and they told you that, you know, Oh, how dare you, you know, celebrate your own victory, you know, like stop being so conceited. Like, why are you showing off? Like, wait a second, that's not showing off. It's, it should be okay to celebrate the things that, that we create authentically. Like, it's like, you know, this little heart that I made for my mom here. You know, it, it would be like, you would be a bully. Diane, that's so stupid. Why would you have made that? Why didn't you, why didn't you do something else? You know, the new me would be like, who are, who were you judging inside? I'm so sorry that you feel that way about yourself. Like who hurt you so bad that you feel as though what I'm doing is wrong because you're too afraid to do it yourself. So the, 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 the new way of looking at things is not when other people are criticizing us for showing up as ourselves the new way of looking at it is to spin it and think, God, that person is, I feel so bad for that person. They are so hard on themselves because the way they're talking to me is not my problem. That's how they talk to themselves. That's the, that's kind of like the evolved when you get through this, um, fear and paralysis of showing up as yourself, you get to this point where you realize this is going to happen for the rest of our lives. People are always going to be judging us. It's everywhere, but where did it come from? I don't have to entertain that voice. And what am I, what is my opportunity cost for not showing up as myself? In other words, yeah. What am I not getting for being myself? Yeah. And I think, you know, I always think to myself, you know, no one gave me my happiness and no one can take it away from me unless I let them, you know, yeah, that's like a mantra. I kind of tell myself a lot, but you know, there's some alarming stats, um, you know, on how most people describe happiness today. And, and why is that a major issue? Oh God. It's, <laughs> this is another one that really, that really, they've done studies on, on younger, gen, the younger generation. And so the, the big percentage of the younger generation, I'm looking for the statistics here because I put them somewhere, but, um, the younger generation, um, really describes, I don't know if you've heard the study, Wendy, that Princeton did this one. Um, they've shown that you only find happiness with money and income to a certain point. And, you know, people think, oh, if I had a million dollars, you know, there's that line. If I had a million dollars and, you know, I'm, I'm developing a happiness quiz, you know, for this, the seven key areas of, of wellness, you know, be it physical or spiritual or you know, emotional, whatever the, the, um, the aspect is of the, that shapes our happiness. Cause it is a formula and it's different for each person. So I'm developing a quiz for that. Um, but a part of that, you know, it, it's okay to seek financial security. It's okay to want money. But the, one of the questions is, is if you had a million dollars, what, what would your life change? How would your life change? And if you're like, you know, I wouldn't change too much then you're a pretty content person. But if you, you know, are out on a binge and if you think about cars, you're thinking about vacations. And if you're living in excess, it means that you're currently thinking in lack. You're, you're operating out of a hardwired system that is lack. I have, there's, there's not enough of something rather than abundance. I already have of everything I need. So if I got a million dollars, it's, it's not going to change anything because I'm already happy the way I am. Maybe I'll get something, you know, maybe I'll buy something for my mom or whatever. But the Princeton study showed that um, we can only find happiness with money and income to a certain point, and that threshold is seventy thousand dollars. Any more that we make on, marginally on top of that 
is not bringing us that much more happiness. In other words, the bell curve is like it, you know, happiness increases up to that point. And then after that point, there's not much more happiness that it brings us. So that's the misconception that is driven by our, our corporate world that, you know, the, the spend this, buy that, you need this skirt to look, to get, to be asked out on a date by, to marry. You know, we don't need any of those things. To live a basic life is to live a very happy life now. And the, 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 the youth, the millennials right now, um, this is a Harvard study done, Harvard happiness study, and they found that 80% of them think that being rich and 50% think being famous is the answer to happiness. Mm. That's the, imagine our future. If 80% of millennials thinking that it's about money and 50% thinking it's about fame. Yeah. And I think children watching media, watching, you know, just all of our reality television and television shows, that's the message they're getting. And that's why they Mm -hmm. think that way. I think children that grow up not watching media, like in the Waldorf school system or what have you, they tend to be much happier and much well-rounded when they don't get those constant message of you have to wear the brands and you have to be rich and famous and whatnot. But I grew up, you know, 30 years ago and uh, I, I had that same thought instilled in my head, very, I guess, American cultural uh, thing or ideation, but I thought I had to have money to be happy, and it definitely did not work out that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what do you What do you think for you? Where do you think for you when you outgrew that? Where you're like, you know what? It's not the way society. It's not all these lies outside of me. It's in here. Like, what was there one period? Was there like a point where everything came crashing down and you just rose above? Because I find that a lot of people have this point where they like everything crashes, and then yeah. at the, at, on the other side, you're like, whoa, I lived through that. Yeah. And it's not that bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe when I was 35, I was selling real estate. I was selling homes. I was making $20,000 a month. I was making a ton of money and I was, I was suicidal. I had a few bad times there where I was just miserable. And, uh, and I, I had been, you know, just going out a lot, just trying to escape from myself and really making a lot of bad decisions. And, um, and finally, I got really, really sick of that, and I decided to make some changes. It was just because I was pursuing money. I was doing something I hated to make money, and I hated my identity. And so then I finally decided to go into health and start studying that more, especially as when my father got sick. And uh, that just kind of parlayed me back on my original path was on health. And then I, I'm a lot, very, very happy today. <laughs> yeah, you know what? That's... That's, that's sort of what I did too, Wendy. So I, it was like I became a financial planner. I was working for uh, Merrill Lynch. I thought, you know, being a stockbroker, it was so sexy to make a lot of money and to write a $46,000 check for my very first car when I was 22. Ooh, look at me. I'm independent. Look at me. I don't need you. I got my, my, my big panties on, my big girl panties on. It's like, who, who, who am I trying, what am I trying to prove to who? Like, where did this even come from? And once you start to question that, like, who are these voices in my head and why am I allowing them real estate speaking to a former real estate person? (laughs) Why, why am I, you know, they're not even paying me for this real estate, but yet they're governing most of my decisions. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess that's obviously why you decided to focus on happiness for, for your event. Um, so, so, you, you know, you could have done a huge online event about anything about nutrition or whatever, because, you know, you work with clients doing nutrition and detoxes at FDN. So why did you choose happiness? Yeah, it's this, this was going against, you know, 
a lot of the trainers that I work with now, you know, I've got, I train people, people train me and, you know, they say, um, focus on what you're most passionate about right now. And while focusing on happiness seems kind of elusive and it's, it's sort of general, right? So it's like, gosh, and one side of me was like, I, I need to niche this deeper, like happy women or happy children or happy. And I went, no, because everyone deserves to hear this. And, um, I've never seen an approach that takes everything into consideration instead of just focusing on antidepressants or like depression, you know, let's, it's, this, this isn't about depression. This is about being happier and what are the roadblocks to that? So while my, my role is not, you know, a happy nutritionist, I believe that, you know, like me, you and I work with people getting the crap out of their lives and so that they can be free and happy and clear and energetic. But myself, I'm thinking I'm plagued. I'm not happy. Um, I went through a breakup, a really harsh breakup. My aunt died of cancer. Two of my very best friends, um, went into rehab. I helped them into rehab, one of whom I was living with. Um, and you know, heroin, hard, hard things, not just weed. <laughs> um, you know, there's not even just escaping from, you know, with alcohol, it, it became that the, the people that were close to me in my life were using things outside of themselves to numb. And then there was another person that a lot of my friends on antidepressants. And like you said that let's try this antidepressant, let's try this one. And I knew their story, you know, because when, when we heal people like you and I do, they, they kind of unleash the things that are going on with them psychologically as well. And I just heard the same story over and over again. And when my aunt died of cancer and she was a nurse and she first got diagnosed with breast cancer when she was a nurse and she was running the show and she was uh, managing several other nurses and what really got to her and what I asked her when she first was diagnosed with breast cancer, it what bothered her the most in her life was that she couldn't speak her truth. She felt claustrophobic. There's many things she couldn't say. So she couldn't show up as herself. And as such, you ha- there's a lot of energy that goes into being someone who we're not. There's a lot of masks. There's a lot of lies. There's a lot of contradictions. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of restlessness. And there's no, we can't connect to other people when we're not connected to ourselves. And so I just kept seeing that over and over again. And then eventually when everybody else is around you and they're coming to you for support, you, (sighs) you, you get depressed yourself. It hit me hard. Um, when my aunt died, that was the, that was the point where I went, I'm doing this for her. And I was at my parents' house, like I am now in the backyard and heart to happiness just made sense because the path to happiness is through our hearts and it's not through our checkbook. Yeah, and so you interviewed, you know, 20 plus experts from all kinds of fields, you know, ranging from psychotherapists and attorneys turn passion, passion, you know, chasing authors to environmentalists and fit moms. So why that, you know, huge range? Why did you, you know, or how did you come to handpick the experts that you did? Yeah, because there is that formula, right? That there, there's a formula that we, there's so many different things that go into our, our happiness um, equation. So there's social, there's emotional, there's spiritual, there's financial, there's occupational, there's intellectual, and then there's physical. And so for someone, they might say, and like I shared this statistic earlier, maybe I didn't, I can't remember because I had so many interviews already, but um, that, oh yeah, I think I did. 13% of us are genuinely happy with what we're doing. And for the most part, those people are in the service of helping others. So like, like you and I, we're in the service of helping other people. So the more we give, the more we get. 
And, you know, that's why, you know, a lot of the people who I've interviewed have said that, you know, if I'm feeling deficient in happiness, I give to other people because I get that back. So there's the occupational piece and that's, that's uh, Tama Keeves. And she, um, she was an attorney and she was miserable and she was working many hours and people today are finding it so sexy to say, Oh, I, I was working till 2am. Look at me. Well, great. Well, you pretty much just lost about 20 years of testosterone. (laughs) You're not sleeping. Um, So it's not bragging rights. It's not sexy anymore to overwork ourselves. We're literally, we can't even be here to brag about working ourselves that many hours if we're not taking care of ourselves, right? So um, I saw everybody's formula is going to be led by something different. So if somebody is a very emotional being, then they are... And, and that would be, let's just say females were more emotional. And so we connect deeper when we're emotional and we're able to express it and we're able to interpret other people's emotions without judgment. And we're able to hold space for each other and be there for one another and not, and, and just the free of judgment, free of ridicule, free of, um, of trying to label and pigeonhole. And so for women, it might be more emotional wellness that is their number one. And so we need to make sure that we're healthy in that regard, that we're able to express and receive uh, and feel that we deserve receiving love as well. Cause it's a big problem today. We, we, as women don't know if we feel like we deserve love either. Um, so how do you accept a compliment? Oh, you look beautiful. Oh, my hair looks like crap. Well, are you kidding me? Well, you just rejected love. And if you're rejecting love from other people, you certainly are cutting yourself off from your own love. So what's going on there? Um, and then for, let's just say men, um, they're going to pride themselves more so in occupational and financial, but you know, the genders are kind of crossing now, like more women are more manly and more men are becoming more sensitive and we're kind of lost in our genders anymore, but that's okay. Cause we have both sides. So I'm just, I'm kind of, you know, um, um, making some assumptions here and maybe traditional ones, but financial and occupational, maybe men are, they pride themselves on being grounded and having a, um, having a title and doing well and thriving in that. And for a lot of men now, uh, I, I love this one is the, the, sh- <laughs> we're shooting all over ourselves. <laughs> shooting. Um, I should do this. I, <laughs> I should do this. I should do that. You know, before I get into a relationship, I, I should do this or I should have done it that way. And then we have all this regret of in the past. And, and so for a lot of guys, they won't engage in relationships until they get into this space where they're proud of themselves financially, occupationally, where they have this title. And so everybody's just kind of in this until and when, when I get to this point, then I. And so people are, you know, like the guys, especially are shitting all over themselves. I can't get in a relationship when I don't have a firm income. And I see people commonly saying, I'm finally in a place, finally in a place where I am open to get into a relationship. It's like, why, why would we ever reject love? That should be the number one driving force of our existence. That's why we're here is to connect. And so then there's a the physical wellness. And of course, I've seen a lot of people who are doing really well emotionally, financially, creatively, occupationally, but then they've got like, you know, their spine is blocked or it's, you know, I work with chiropractors, so maybe it's twisted and um, they can't get nutrients to where they they should be. And then you and I work with people in toxicity and amino acids and vitamin deficiencies and mineral imbalances and hormonal, um, you know, infrequencies and then heavy metal toxicity. So that's important. And then how are we treating the planet? You know, if you're the, someone flinging your cigarette butt out or throwing plastic water bottles everywhere, then you're, okay, you're shooting on the planet. <laughs> um, but if you're treating the planet that way, then you're, how are you treating yourself? So there's so much that goes into happiness. And then spirituality is a huge one too. Very few people are actually taking the time to just become 
still and quiet and aware of, of even just their breath. Like, who am I? Who am I? The purpose is so important. So I can keep going on and on. I have 24 people who talked about it, but that's the probably the briefest summary I can answer in that question. Well, you come up with a formula about, you know, how someone can find their own personal happiness or their own personal formula for happiness. How did you come up with that? Yeah. So I actually came up with it because of amazing people like yourself, Wendy. So when, when I did these interviews, um, I took a lot of notes and have um, one of my assistants is taking arduous notes on a lot of what people said. And what we found to be true across, and I'm not done with this research yet, but what we found to be true across all of these areas was very consistent answers. Um, and in each person's um, explanation of happiness with their specialty, like you are physical wellness, um, because you know you talked about physical wellness and how you know toxicity can block us from us being physically healthy. And so um, I'm, I listened to that, and then through my own experience and doing research from other doctors, and, and my you know my field is physical wellness too. And I've been involved in every one of these um, in one of these every one of these seven key areas, whether it's my own personal experience or working with other doctors. And so I've established that based on you know the studies, based on other types of uh, quizzes that were done that were not. There's nothing been done like this, but but. What, how would you define happiness and gurus? Cause I traveled to India and, and, um, and Thailand and, and traveled alone and listen to these people talk. So a lot of my yogic practice and tantra practices, uh, have gone into this as well. Like what is wellness? I, I've been trained for many, many hours in the spiritual sense. So, um, I'm pretty well versed in a lot of these things through experience and also because I've gotten a lot of certifications in them. And so there's, it, it's a very delicate formula, but it's, it's, I'm weighing the, the top things that I've heard people mention and I, and what I see the most deficient in society as a whole. Well, tell us about your, 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 the project, the summit, uh, the heart to happiness summit. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, oh, it's and, and like how it's transformed your life. And, yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So, there's, there's things that I set out for others to, to grasp from this. Um, and I really just wanted every speaker to have their own reign of how do you define happiness? What do you see in your practice and your industry of what's blocking people from happiness and what steps I asked each speaker to give three takeaways, three exercises, three, you know, biggest impact, easiest to do things that people can see progress right now because we're Americans, we're impatient, or I would just say that we're earthlings because <laughs> we all live this fast paced life for the most part. Um, but we like to see results now. And if we don't, we give up and blame it on the, the system that didn't work. So every person I interviewed, I asked for three heavy hitters. What can they do right now? So in among 24 experts, you've got three takeaways. That's like 75 different takeaways that you can pick at least one from and run with it. Uh, and so I set forth to help people, whatever they needed to hear, they're going to hear it. Cause I've, I've even, I've even interviewed a fourth grader <laughs> in this and he, um, he's a fourth grader entrepreneur and he's relentless and he has more courage than the majority of adults that I know. So there's something to learn from him too. He's doing some amazing things. And so I brought him on as, so people could, no matter what age and the things I learned for myself in my life, it, it's so crazy, Wendy. I, I used to come home from working out. I used to work out later and then it was like six, seven o'clock at night. I'd come home from yoga. I'd come home from, you know, working out. And I'm like, okay, I got work to do. And I, I literally wake up in the morning and I'd work and then I'd take a break and work out. I'd come home from my workout and I'd work. And so I was working from like 8am to like midnight. And that was just my, my life. And I listening to these speakers 
heard them. The, the number one thing I heard everybody say is you got to block out time for you. You have to block out time to be creative. And that's what the work of Brene Brown says that the best way to, to exercise being vulnerable and showing up as ourselves and really finding happiness is to spend time alone, spend time creating, doing the things that we really enjoy doing. What people go, oh, I can't, I'm not creative. I can't draw. I can't paint. Oh, I, I can't do any of that stuff. I'm not creative. We all have creative in us. We just may have been at a young age bullied or someone told us that our work sucked and then we just stopped doing it. So there's that 0.1% that has prevented us from getting into our heart space and creating because we're afraid of that 0.1% again. And so creating and taking time for ourselves, enjoying just being in nature, to listen to the birds, to not feel the, the anxiety about the day ahead of us to not wake up and, and obsessively check emails, you know, roll. I used to roll over in the morning and just look at all my emails. Like, what do I have to do today? What do I have to jump out of bed for? Instead, and I wake up in the morning and I'm listening to the birds and I'm like, this is my time. I'm just right here. I'm right here. I'm not dwelling in the, sh- I'm not shooting on myself because I should have done it this way. And I'm not needing on myself. Like I need to do this. I'm just right here, like here right now, is good. It's perfect. It is the only time that exists. And so the space to just be without being without is what's really healed me is that I've heard people say that take time for yourself, create, do things you love. So now, um, I'm scuba diving more regularly. I I didn't scuba dive for six months. I took a break and now I've got my gear and I'm diving again. I'm salsa dancing. I've never done it before. That's one of the top 10 things that you could do to be unhappy is to not take risk. (laughs) It's to live in your comfort zone. So getting outside of your comfort zone is one of the paths to happiness. And so I'm taking risks. I'm doing things. I'm I'm more afraid, I realize, salsa dancing of judgment from other people than I am of diving in open waters with sharks, which I've done. And so I went, you know, why do I care so much about what other people think? And the more you exercise getting out in the public eye and doing things and you hear people go, God, it's just so fun to see you enjoy yourself. And then in your head, you may be thinking, but I felt like I look like crap doing that dance move. And I almost rolled my ankle and fell on my face. But the person that saw me on the opposite side of the room came to me and said, it was so fun watching you enjoy yourself. What a contrast. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. That's a great story. And, you know, I really enjoyed my interview with you. I just, I really love your energy and I, yeah. And I know that like you interviewed like a fourth grader and there's going to be so many interesting interviews on this summit. So tell people when they can check out the summit. It's coming up pretty quickly, isn't it? Yes. Yes. It's uh it's coming up May 16th. And I think it was June 4th that you're on. Yeah, you're on, you're on June 4th. Um, so, and you're, you're toward the end too. So we saved the best for last. Um, June 8th is when it's over. And so people can watch what it is. Is um, you know, people who know the summit model, it's, you could watch the videos for free the whole time. And I'm sending out emails every day to people so that they know which one's up. Each person's up for 72 hours so they can watch you from June 4th. You'll be up fourth, fifth and sixth. Um, and then at the end, we may have a little encore where you can kind of catch, catch up. And then at the end of it, there's going to be that quiz. So people can take notes throughout. They can try incorporating these things day to day. And of course, every speaker that I've interviewed, there's going to be a link to go to their website so they can uh, learn more about them. They can reach out to them. They can learn more about you um, in, in our interview. But um, there's there's so much to it. So I would encourage people to be as much as involved as they can and uh, to check out the current website and the video so they can see what speakers are a part of it, um, who they've... you know. I, I even have... Um, 
one of the top doctors who's a psychiatrist who talks about addiction. And so there's addiction, there's, um, there's, um, eating disorders, there's sexual confusion, there's everything. (laughs) There's everything that you can imagine there that would block us from our happiness. So, um, you know, get in there and, and the courage to come to this, I, I want to give you guys, you know, um, I want to give you guys a pass, you know, a, a VIP pass, because this really is, it's tough. It's the, the hardest thing to go inside of yourself and admit that maybe you've gone about it the wrong way. Maybe at one point you've been living your life, people pleasing. Uh, and instead of shaming yourself for that and shitting all over yourself, accept that that's been your journey and that where you are, you're in that perfect moment. And you were supposed to be here watching me and Wendy today. You're supposed to be watching me and Wendy on June 4th or any of the other speakers. So just be gentle on yourself when you're watching these things, because you may hear people talk and then you think, Oh, dang it. I knew I should have done it that way. Or why am I not? And then we start getting in our head and it's like, no, these are supposed to be empowering. So open yourself up to learn and, and realize that failure is the biggest and the best part of all of this. Mm -hmm. And anyone who's successful or happy you know, it was not an upward trajectory. It was like all over the place. <laughs> to Total to zigzag. <laughs> Lots of scars and scratches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Diane, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And listeners, if you want to learn more about me, you can go to liveto110.com and learn about my healing and detox program at mineralpower.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Live to 110 podcast. Thank you, Wendy.